Hi, my name is Dr. Dale Caldwell. I'm the executive director of the FDU Rothman Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. You are listening to the Jaffe Podcast. New Jersey is open for business, and plenty of excited entrepreneurs are hanging out the We're Open sign. But are we really taking advantage of our economic potential? Turning our urban communities into business ecosystems. That's coming up on today's Jaffe Podcast. You're listening to the Jaffe Podcast, brought to you weekly by Jaffe Communications. Spending any amount of time in New Jersey means seeing a few of those signs along the highway, enticing shoppers with the words, 3.3% sales tax, in bold letters, visible from space. That means you're in or near an urban enterprise zone. It's a status conferred since 1983 on urban, struggling communities that are overcoming economic or environmental problems. Business owners and consumers in UEZs enjoy benefits like reduced taxes, tax credits, subsidies, financial assistance, and much more. And the program's early success spurred its expansion to 37 municipalities in 32 zones statewide. But Dale Caldwell says these programs don't have nearly the impact they could for those who need them the most. He cites evidence that UEZ tax credits have mostly been used to prop up real estate developments rather than encouraging investment in entrepreneurial businesses in our struggling cities. Dale is the executive director of the Rothman Institute of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Fairleigh Dickinson University, and we're very happy and fortunate he joined us for a conversation in our podcast studio about the future of New Jersey's economy. Dale, welcome to the Jaffe Podcast. Well, I'm so happy to be here. So uh, it's really a, a blessing to, to be part of this. Yeah, and also we have today as our uh, trusty sidekick. Sure. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll call a lot worse than that. <laughs> and, uh, and we, and we have uh, Chuck O'Donnell Hello. Uh, with uh, Tap into New Brunswick, who is taking the second seat today. Uh, thank second you. banana. Whatever. <laughs> so anyway, we just, you know, uh, we've had uh, over the past few weeks, we've had some time to really learn about Dale and uh, and all the work um, that he's been doing. And um, we also know that you have um, a lot of strong opinions when it comes to entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. really about how to move the needle forward in New Jersey. And when we do these podcasts, we like to first talk about the problem, mm-hmm. and then we like to talk about the solution, mm-hmm. and uh, so that we all leave the podcast feeling that we've accomplished something, and uh, and uh, that there's kind of like a route forward. And mm-hmm. so, why don't we talk first about hey, it's New Jersey? There's problems, so let's let's talk. What what are you seeing as the issues here? Well, if if you don't mind, I I you know kind of talk the the context, kind of mm-hmm. my background, and why I even care about this. I always say my. My, my dad is a United Methodist minister who knew in March with Dr. King, and one of my favorite pictures is the picture of my dad, Dr. King, and Ralph Abernathy, his right-hand, right-hand guy, and uh, uh, it was in Boston to integrate the Boston public schools, so I felt a call to be involved with education, so I'm on the New Brunswick Board of Education and past president and on the um, Educational Services Commission of New, of, uh, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, both for a very long time, 20 both, both years. For, but 20, uh, yeah, I've been actually 16 years uh, president of the ESCNJ, and uh, four years uh, over the course of the 20 years I've been on New Brunswick. But that's given me some education insights. Then I was uh, the first executive director of the Newark Alliance and uh, deputy commissioner of Department of Community Affairs and at Deloitte Consulting and had my own consulting firm. So see the business side, see the politics side, see the government side, see the nonprofit side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have these issues uh, called property tax and poverty in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. 
And so I have a real focus on those two things. And the answer in some ways is the same. It's entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. It's really America was started as a startup corporation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, entrepreneurship is at the heart and soul of this. And this is neither liberal or conservative. Mm -hmm. um, I was in the McGreevy administration. And I think that administration and the Murphy administration and others know that creating jobs is at the heart of things. Yeah. But how do you create the jobs? Mm -hmm. Okay. And now I've seen at, uh, you know, Montclair State University, they have their um, – mm -hmm. Entrepreneurship with um, a great Dennis program. Bone, Dennis Bone. Well, Dennis just retired. They hired a new person who had worked, and her name is escaping me now. Just uh, worked at Google, who's now oh, okay. just taking over. Oh, I think excellent. she's just starting. So, okay. which is which is great. Right, and 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 you have yours at FDU that's been around for thirty years. Yep. And so, are these? Explain what they are. Are they think tanks? How do we describe these these entrepreneurship um, entities? You know, that, that's a that's a great question. In fact, we had a. Um, Actually, around my, uh, my issue, and we'll talk a little later about Entrepreneur Zones, we actually um, brought together all of the heads of each of those institutes. Mm -hmm. And so they're Ryder, they're at Rutgers. Rutgers, Rutgers has about four of them, mm -hmm. you know, Montclair State, uh, Princeton. Um, and so the directors, and they all have their own little flavor. Mm -hmm. And some have incubators. You know, ours has been family businesses and veterans uh, business training. Um, Princeton is in the Keller Center, which is uh, um, engineering. Mm -hmm. And so they really are looking at entrepreneurs and engineers. Um, uh, Montclair is really focused on women entrepreneurship. Uh, there, there's one in Newark, which is urban. So, so they're, they're, they're often um, aligned with the entrepreneurial major in the universities. Um, they work with st some work internally, largely with students. We work with students, but we spend most of our time working with entrepreneurs throughout mm -hmm. New Jersey. Okay. And I'll, I'll go to my... Um my question is mm -hmm. the so tell us about what what are we seeing are the issues when it comes to entrepreneurship in New Jersey is this a healthy place for entrepreneurs is there more that needs to be done How well would you describe the landscape here that, 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 again that's a great question because what we're finding is that people understand the importance of entrepreneurship but the nature of politics is whoever yells loudest mm -hmm. you know gets gets support mm -hmm. yep. and entrepreneurs are so busy trying to survive trying to make ends meet that there's no real advocate for them. So, so things like $15 minimum wage, we just did a poll, and, and uh, you know, about half the folks found it a real problem, half didn't, mm -hmm. um, which we'll, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll report later. Um, and so you have other people saying, you know, who are advocating for it, and you don't hear anything from the entrepreneurial community, so you go with it. Right, right. And, and, and things um, um, like local municipalities and having overseen Department of Community Affairs, which works with local uh, municipalities, many municipalities are, I don't want to say abusive, but are taking advantage financially of, of businesses instead of thinking the long term that these are rateables. Give us an example. Like, so, so, so example like a restaurant is, wants to open? Or, well, you know, there's, there's a, uh, um, again, I won't use names of towns okay. or, or industries, yeah. but uh, there's kind of an animal hotel that's um, um, bought some land in a, in a town and um, got the DEP permits that they had to get, but then somebody saw the the, and I forget what the uh, the spotted turtle, and uh, they pulled all the permits. Then someone said, "Oh, the spotted turtle was a mile away," so they gave them the permits back. And then someone said they saw the spotted turtle, so they they pulled the permits. Uh -huh. uh, at the same time, uh, this group is being charged for COA affordable housing dollars for that. And yeah. so many of the municipalities are actually, you know, charging. And, and these businesses don't know any different. They're not in politics. Right. They know their thing, and and some of them are doing well enough that they can pay it and just go away. Right. 
but there's nobody at no advocate and 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 why that's impactful to taxpayers is that um, these are the only way we're going to generate the rateable. Some people don't rate rateables the term of taxes that small businesses generate taxes that actually can allow uh, municipalities to reduce local property taxes. Mm-hmm. And if we don't support entrepreneurial businesses, we will never get taxes down. Mm-hmm. And this is not Democratic or Republican. That's the fact. Right. So, uh, you know, again, like the idea of somebody who say they're going to open a florist shop in Madison, mm-hmm. by the mm-hmm. beautiful FDU campus, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there's so many obstacles that these entities have. It's not like they have a, a labor union or a franchise system or anything that could help them be, be advocates. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that the um, these entrepreneurial institutes serve as, serve as those advocates? Well, 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 n- not all of them do, and so mm-hmm. that's kind of the space we're taking, in addition right. to family businesses, in addition to uh, helping veterans um, so we have a family business program. We have a, uh, in October, we have our family business awards where we, we identify the, the, the most outstanding family businesses of the year. We've been doing that for about 20 years. Um, we also have this veterans program for over 10 years where veterans will have a business idea and we'll help them develop a business plan and potentially get funding. Um, and so those have been the things we're doing. But now we're seeing this void in, in voice. And the other institutes are really focused on what they're doing. And so we're really trying to be, we're not lobbyists, we're not, we can't lobby, but we can really be a presence to really say, hey, folks, like being on this wonderful show, mm-hmm. to say, hey, entrepreneurs are really the heartblood of New Jersey and the heartblood of America, and it's not a political issue of conservative or liberal, but this is where most people are employed. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about um, corporations, mm-hmm. okay? And, um, you know, you know, if you look around New Jersey, the greatest development you've seen in the past 10, 15 years has been warehouses mm-hmm. for, you know, the Walmarts and the Targets mm-hmm. and all of these major fulfillment centers. You know, it seems like the, the um, business is changing drastically, mm-hmm. that it used to be that, okay, I, I'll use the florist shop, that right. you, you would make your $15 an hour working in the florist shop. Now you're making your $15 an hour working at one of these massive fulfillment centers that have 300,000 employees globally. Mm-hmm. It's an ongoing trend in that direction. The question is, is there still the same appetite in New Jersey for entrepreneurial, I mean, entrepreneurialism mm-hmm. <laughs> as there has been? Or has it been that, you know what, maybe we should be going the easier route toward um, the, the, the changes, towards fulfill, fulfillment mm-hmm. centers? Is, do, is there still that same passion you see now? For people to be like, you know, I'm going to go through the nonsense of dealing with my municipality to get my permits, to get my inspections, to pay this guy, pay that guy. Or is it easier to be like, you know what, let me just follow along, get my paycheck. Well, see, see, one of the challenges is that the jobs that, you know, so so some of the big box stores have come in. And, and I, I think it was Piscataway where they said just a couple of years, the last hardware store closed, local hardware store closed. Yep. And you say, oh, well, what does that matter? We get our stuff cheaper. And so the consumers are saying, we're getting our stuff cheaper from the local. What they don't realize is that living wage jobs are being eliminated. So great, it's great to have $15. And, and so one of the, uh, and I'm a shareholder as are others, but shareholders are running America now. Mm-hmm. And, and what that means is that things that are, are beneficial to shareholders are great, but they're not beneficial to average Americans. Mm-hmm. And so let me give, give, you, an, you, know, give you an example. And, and so um, you go to the local, uh, I'll pick a restaurant chain, but any restaurant chain, and they have these little kiosks mm-hmm. on the table that's right. supposedly more convenient that you pay them. Mm-hmm. They're trying to eliminate waiters and waitresses, mm-hmm. right? And guess yeah. who that helps? That doesn't help anybody. It eliminates a job. It doesn't help the economy. It doesn't help. It helps shareholders because yeah. they, their profitability. Yeah. Then one of the other things which um, – 
Um, you know, again, it's not Democrat or conservative, but I know the, the Republicans have really been, used to be really strong on the kind of antitrust and other things. And so a friend of mine works at Bayer, and Bayer, a lot of people don't know, Bayer bought Monsanto. And, and really, you think, in what world would the largest aspirin maker be able to buy the largest food producer? Mm-hmm. And they're laying off 12,000 people. Mm-hmm. So that's a great move for shareholders. But right. where are we saying about the average, the average American, the average New Jersey person? And, 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 we're, and, and nobody is speaking up. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing that I say, and I, I think I've said to you, that, that people forget that Congress actually authorized airlines to charge for baggage fees, airline baggage fees. Because the you know gas prices were so high, airlines were struggling financially. Airlines have never done better, mm-hmm. yet baggage fees are going up. Mm-hmm. And so, where is Congress? Where are Democrats and Republicans to say we should not? We don't need to charge for baggage fees because that kills the average you know middle class family. And, and, and one of the things I say that I don't care on either side who's running for president, but if you can't get rid of airline baggage fees, how are you going to solve global warming, <laughs> right? Yeah, right? And, and, and we need to ask that question. And so, and, and that's what we're forgetting the consumer. And, and so what happens is we're almost, you know, we're almost have a presidency for special interests. Where is the presidency for the middle class? You know, where are the people who are fighting up? So then <laughs> I, I, w- I want to ask you about the entrepreneurial zones. Mm-hmm. So, so, so how, how, does, how would that stem this tie or would that, you, you know, change things? Good, no, no, again, a good, good question. So I, I – um, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of study, a lot of talk about these opportunity zones that they we probably uh, should just yeah yeah explain it the, 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 yeah, yeah yeah and so um, it was actually originally proposed by a Democrat and a Republican years ago. The Trump administration approved it, um, and uh, I know Jared Kushner's family owns Long Branch and mm-hmm. and you know which just is the, an no, opportunity just the zone. nice parts <laughs> yeah 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 it, it, the uh, but that's still in an opportunity zone. And so the whole idea of opportunity zones is that investors get long-term tax credit relief if they invest in opportunity zones. And so where they're investing largely are in real estate, which is fine. I mean, real estate is, is, is great. Um, but the trouble is that in, and these are supposedly urban, poor communities, typically, and they're, they're exceptions, but um, that's not going to create jobs to eliminate poverty. That's not going to, to really help. That's just going to be a real estate play. Right. So what I said is opportunity zones are fantastic, but what we really need are entrepreneur zones. And the whole idea, and as you know, there's a controversy now around tax credits. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the the leadership in South Jersey, you know, Are you talking about the, the Norcross tax credit. Yeah, the, 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 the Norcross EDA, versus EDA. Murphy. Yeah, 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 yeah EDA. That, that Camden got the majority of those tax credits, which benefited, you know, um, you know, several folks in there. Um, and so some were saying, well, let's get rid of tax credits because they weren't creating jobs. And I'm saying, why not take those tax credits and create entrepreneur zones? Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is in the poor sections of of urban communities and possibly even in the, uh, um, the the main street type of things which are struggling allow tax uh, tax credits for investments in those businesses mm-hmm. and they're those businesses that actually create local jobs because it has to be about job creation and so the amazing thing about it, I wrote an article in ROI about about this and the amazing thing is both conservatives and liberals like the idea mm-hmm. it's one of the few things in this divided world they said Entrepreneurship, creating jobs in urban communities, that sounds where investors, it sounds wasn't good. That, isn't that sim- similar with the same strategy of, of an urban enterprise zone? Well, part of it, nomenclature is very important in this social media age. You know, words have power. And enterprise is really, I'm saying entrepreneur zones. We need to really understand that, that what, and, and this is something that people don't understand, how hard it is to be an entrepreneur. 
you know, and, and, and what a lot of people who haven't, and one of the things that I like to say and, and, uh, is that this country would be very different if every elected official had to make payroll. Mm -hmm. right? right? This would be very, very yeah. different. They, they would think about how difficult it is. So you see these businesses that are $20 million businesses. We have many of our clients that are $20 million businesses. They have a bad six months. They're out of business. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, the powers that be look at them and say, oh, they're real successful. He's making, you know, $500,000 a year. Mm -hmm. You know, right. but that, that is not guaranteed. And, right, right, and so, right. so when you begin to look how hard it is to invest in, a, so enterprise zones are great, and they've largely helped. Uh, you know, I'm in New Brunswick, and so Sears has benefited. I go to Sears all the time. You know, you, yeah, right. you know, but but that's not helping the the mom and pop entrepreneur that really made this country. So, so then uh, in New Brunswick, mm -hmm. how, how, in what ways would that benefit the city? You know. Well, what, is it, a, is it a domino effect? Well, well and, and in some ways, we've been blessed in, in New Brunswick, where I've lived for 22 years. You know, Mayor Cahill has done, you know, some amazing things in collaboration. DevCo has done some wonderful amazing things. things yeah. We now have the, you know, the, the New Brunswick Arts Center, mm -hmm. which I'm so proud of and, and yeah, can't wait to go. And, yeah. and, you know, Denzel Washington's going to be there with the Crossroads. I used to be president of the Crossroads Theater. Oh, really? So, really? Uh, yeah, do you, yeah. Do you know you could play Denzel Washington in a movie? Oh, really? Oh, really? Well, that's, that's an honor. That's, that's, that's an honor. That, that, that's an honor. He needs a body double while he's here, you know. a stunt double in New Brunswick. I'll take that. As a single guy, that's good. Endorsement, so I, you know, I hopefully I'll get so. some calls for that. So I, I think that is quite. A I make quote. If I can have, if I can have that quote, I'll put it on uh, on match. I'll put it on match. You so, want your uh, business card? The, the, I look the, uh, like Denzel Washington. Yeah, exactly. The uh, we'll um, copy of the podcast. The, the, there you go. There you go. Um, but but um, but I had an opportunity. I was president of Crossroads Theater, so I you know I never wanted to act or anything. But Crossroads is the first black theater to win the Tony Award, so I was actually on stage as president with Rick Kahn to actually accept the Tony Award. Oh, wow. So I, you know, I can say I won a you know, you Tony Award, Tony, even yeah. though I, you know, didn't. But, but Crossroads of the Arts, you know, if you're looking to turn communities around, you look at the arts, and that's why NJ Pack was so important, because the arts have brought people to communities that otherwise wouldn't go there. And so that's the start. So that's why New Brunswick started to come back because of the theater. NJ Pack did a lot for, for Newark as well. But the next step is entrepreneurs to really support businesses and jobs right right right, right, right. you know um and by the way and let's speaking about community okay mm -hmm. and, you know it's very very hard to find somebody to serve one term on a, on a school board mm -hmm. okay you but managed, it pays so well yeah remember if you're on a school board according to the people in the audience you're on the tape <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah everybody's yeah. on the tape yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yeah, forgive me yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but but anyway but the point is so it's very rare to find someone to serve once. You not only serve on one school board, you serve on two. Right, right. And it's very interesting to ask, you know, as uh, what drives you? What drives you to do that, to, to, to devote so much of the time that you could be doing other things to serving on boards of education? Well, well, it's, it's you know, I, I, have to, I had the opportunity to win the New Brunswick School Board Member of the Year in, in 2009. And, no, the state. The state. The state school board no, of the year. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, the, the I'm New, sorry, New, New Jersey. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, New, New Jersey <laughs> School Board Member <laughs> right. of the Year. And so, you know, one of the things, I, I had an opportunity to, to uh, I grew up in, 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 in Roxbury and in Harlem and, um, uh, I, uh, you know, went to Princeton and, and I got my MBA from Wharton and a doctorate from Seton Hall. So I paid a lot of money for school, yes. but you know, and, and I went with these, these schools are supposed to these people that are supposedly the best and the brightest. They're no, they're no more intelligent than kids and the poorest kids in the poorest section of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And so what you realize is that there is so much potential we have in New Jersey and America in these urban communities. 
And so one of the things that, that uh, I just love serving on a school board, and, and that's New Brunswick, to, to really kind of help and empower and inspire people to say, hey, you can actually be something. So, but you, so I have my, my own consulting firm, too. You know, at a university, you can do consulting outside. And, and I wrote a book on influence. It's called Intelligent Influence. And so what I, um, what I really do is, is really introduce people to themselves because we're all products of our influence. Right. And that nobody was born, we're all empty cups when we're born, and influences are poured into it. Right. So nobody should feel that, that they're any better than anybody else. It's just that they've had influences that help them out. Mm-hmm. But, but for the grace of God, they would be homeless on the street. Exactly. And so that, that whole philosophy is what I say. I look at the kids in New Brunswick or the kids in Newark or the kids in Camden and say, hey, with the right influences, these young people could be anything. Well, and you should also, I mean, the Educational Services Commission, you're dealing, right, working with right, kids with disabilities yeah. and a lot of very serious disabilities. And that's another thing where you guys really come up with ways to make sure that to maximize whatever potential is there. Well, well and, and again, part of, part of and, and, I, and I, it's, it's, I feel like I'm even cheating because I have two of the best superintendents, you know, you know Mark Finkelstein that I've worked with for 18, 18, 20 years, really. You know, Mark is like among the, the best. Yeah, he is one of the most yeah. respected folks. He's created a culture of caring. We educate the, the most challenging students that, that are, you know, autistic, multiply disabled, dealing with emotional challenges, and they do it with such class and caring. And then Dr. Dr. Aubrey Johnson in New Brunswick has done a phenomenal job of really kind of turning the district around, and we have a long way to go. But, you know, when you're a board of education, your number one job is getting a great superintendent. Yes. And so, I've, and so it's a lot easier. When you have a great superintendent, it's a lot easier to be a board member. But I also tell other folks that the be- a good day as a, as a school board member is when nobody complains. So When, 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 when is that? Yeah, and that's, that's a really, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not too many. Not, not too many. Yeah, but, count but, on one hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. The, All right, fair enough. Um, so, Dale, when, when you're not busy uh, promoting entrepreneurship, I understand you're, you have a, a great passion for tennis and um, you, you run a black tennis hall of fame. You've created one. Yeah. And just, 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 just real quick. I, I, uh, was the first black president of the USTA Eastern section. So the United States tennis association has 17 sections. And I'd called up when I was president, of the international tennis hall of fame and said, um, we need to do an exhibit. Baseball's done a, a, some great things with the Negro leagues. Yeah. And so they actually did an exhibit called breaking the barriers, which 35,000 people saw in the 2007 U S open. And that was so successful, I said, let me start the Black Tennis Hall of Fame. Because a lot of people don't know, tennis has been in the black community for 100 years. I, I mean, Althea Gibson, yeah, Althea, Arthur Ann, But on, even on, before, on, Aura even Washington, before and there was a woman named Aura Washington who was the best women's basketball player in the country and the best tennis player that nobody knows about. But they weren't given this, well, why do you need that now? And, and it's because they weren't given a chance to play in the white, uh, in the white tournaments. And, uh, and one, one amazing story, which you really, really could do a movie about, was uh, this guy Don Bunch. Don Bunch was the first to win a Grand Slam, all four of the major championships. You know, the U.S. Open is going on now. And uh, he knew he was the best white player in the world, but he wanted to see if he was, and this is when boxing, you had Jack Johnson and, you know, black boxers were, were there. So he went to Harlem to play this guy, Jimmy McDaniel, who won the ATA championship. So here's a guy who was by far the best white player, put it all on the line. And so the, the thing about Althea Gibson, and we'll get to Althea Gibson's statue, which was amazing, uh, the unveiling the other day, is that, you know, she broke class and color, you know, because tennis, you know, tennis was the, the elite. They always thought they were better than, and then, you know, baseball was for everybody. And so um, uh, he ended up winning, but said this guy could compete, Jimmy McDaniel. But that's an amazing story. And so just recently, and the reason I really wanted to talk about it, is the, the USTA, well, first East Orange 
did an unveiling of an Althea Gibson statue. So those who don't know, Althea Gibson was the first black champion of Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, uh, the, the French Open. Um, she had a ticker tape parade down Broadway in 1957. A black woman had a ticker tape parade where people celebrated her like they celebrate the, the Yankees and the Mets. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, and wow. so this, I, I think never about knew that. that. No, yeah, no, no. And if you if you go there and you see home. they have all the names on the the thing, I was just the other day. So wait, where, is, where is the Hall of Fame? Uh, well, it's we're, we're virtual. Actually, oh, so virtual. we're virtual. Oh, yeah, okay. we're virtual. In fact, we're in the process of raising money to create a virtual reality Hall of Fame. So we have a mock up for that, where not just virtual, but the idea that you can online, which I think will be the future of it, you can actually walk in and see Alcee Gibson's exhibit, you know, on the online. And so, interesting. I'm surprised that uh, is the goal to have a physical space eventually. No, no. But really, the goal is to really have the virtual reality space because to, to have more people have access. You do have uh, an event every year. Right? Yeah, yeah, induction. yeah. An, an induction ceremony. And, so, and, and recently, yeah, Chanda Rubin. Yeah, Chanda Rubin and, and Brooklyn Borough Hall. You know your tennis. Thing. Yeah, oh. yeah. He's, 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 he's uh, three-time uh, very state good. champ. Uh, no, not really. Not <laughs> at all. I was going to say. I was going to say uh, the uh, really but, not at all. The, uh, but 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 the big news was on on Monday. You know, an opening. They had an unveiling of the Althea Gibson statue at the U.S. Open, and so I had a chance to be up front for for that. And um, Katrina Adams, the first black president, oversaw. Billie Jean King spoke. Um, Sloane Stevens, who had won the U.S. Open, was yeah. there. Shonda Rubin was there, and um, and so really, it's a beautiful statue. So if you get to the U.S. Open. Yeah. Right by Arthur Ashe Stadium. Just look at it. It was just amazingly done. Your event every year, uh, your induction, you, you, you've had some very well-known, very uh, prominent uh, tennis players come over the years, right? Yeah, we've, we've, had, we've had a few. I mean, my, my, my claim to fame is that, you know, I'm certified to teach, but I had a chance to teach tennis with Arthur Ashe. To, wow. uh, and, and he actually had wow. spoke, spoken to, wow. to a black NBA association, and he wanted, the, you know, a lot of black, uh, you know, folks, executives to understand how tennis is networking. So he had a free clinic for them, and I was chosen as the other. Did you ever teacher. Uh, play Arthur Ashe? No, no, I didn't know. I didn't play, but, but he was. I mean, he, he, was he scared he, of you? No, 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 no. He's ducking you. But he was so thin. But this was before AIDS. Nobody knew about AIDS then. But he was. I remember him being mm-hmm. so thin. Mm-hmm. But he still, he, his strokes were like glass. It was just uh, unbelievable how the ball just popped off his string. Classy player and, and classy player, classy and so. Player, um, yeah. Um, and so, so one of the things I take about so Nick Bolletieri, I don't know if you know Nick Bolletieri, very was, famous coach. Yeah, very, Andre Agassi's coach and others. And so we inducted him because he and Ash started something called the Ash Bolletieri program, which was in Newark uh, in the '80s, where they actually took some young people and really took them off the streets and got them into college and became good tennis players. But anyway, and and so, um, but Nick Bolletieri says uh, if I was given a choice, and he was inducted actually in the Black Tennis Hall of Fame of the International Tennis Hall of Fame or the Black Tennis Hall of Fame, I'd rather be in the Black Tennis Hall of Fame. So, awesome. Because he really appreciates that. So anyway, but uh, oh, thanks for asking because that's obviously it's a one passion. Your, uh, one of your other passions. Yeah, another, another <laughs> pa- I have a lot of passions. So, so. Okay. You, you've actually done quite a bit of research uh, into the success of entrepreneurial zones and how they work. Um, was was that uh, school related? Yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things that we did, I, I did a well, actually, I, I wrote the article and it was so well received. The governor's office did that. So, well, send us a white paper. We want to explore this. And uh, so, in that, I, I created a couple things. One is the, called the unemployment rate index, which is I don't know why anybody else hasn't done this, but it's very simple. You take the state unemployment rate, which back then it's gone down a little bit. It was four point one percent, and you take the unemployment rate of of urban communities. Uh, and you multiply it by the number of, of working age population, you get the exact number of jobs you need to get it down to the state level. And so in Newark, it was about 14,000, actually, it was about 23,000 jobs 
uh, that are needed to actually bring the unemployment rate in Newark down to the state. And in Jersey City, it was about 8,000 jobs. In Asbury Park, it's about 832 jobs. And so you can actually chronicle what do we need to do to turn these communities around. And so, so by doing that, and the other thing is, and I did my dissertation around this, created something called the Living Wage Index, which uh, basically MIT Living Wage Calculator says how much a household of different sizes needs to make. So you're familiar with it. It needs to make to pay their bills. And what I did is I took that against the census to say what percentage of households actually do that. And so you've, you have numbers, real numbers, and you look in our communities, and Jersey City was the only one of the, the eight best-known cities I did that was about 50%. The rest of them, the majority of folks didn't make enough to pay their bills. Nationally, and the, the nationally, and I did this for every state, it's about $48,450. Um, 68 million households can pay their bills. 50 million households in America can't pay their bills on time. And that's the, that's the political thing that we're missing as we talk about some of these big issues is that people are anti-politics. They are. You know, whether they, 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 may not, they, may not think the, the, they may not think that the president is, is a good human being, but the one thing I think everybody agrees, the president is not part of anything, let alone government. Mm-hmm. And so I think as the Democrats are running, you know, they need to really begin to think about this and understand that government has not served people well. Right. And my dad, is a, as a civil rights foot soldier, as he said, you know, many of us as an African-American, we believe in the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party intervened you know, when times are during, during, you know, some racist, you know, racism and, mm-hmm. you know, segregation. But at the end of the day, we have to step back. And, and, and some people would even say there are two parties. One is Washington and the other is the rest of us. Right. You know, and so we need to begin to understand that. And, and, and the beauty, I, I like to, and I don't like to beat anybody up. I'm just saying entrepreneurship is, is a positive way. And I've not had anybody really push back. Mm-hmm. You know, to say, oh, no, no, we need more big companies. No. No, I, I don't hear that. No. I hear we need more jobs. Yeah, we need more jobs, exactly. More, well, more good-paying jobs, you know, but and we need more opportunity, we, we need more. we have institutes like yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and the other thing, I know yeah. we're, we're at the end, is that um, it's often about the household. That so often we pay, we focus on individual job rates, but it's really the household. You know, two members, one member can make 50 bucks an hour in the household, the other person can make 10 bucks an household. And yet, in a single household, somebody's making 14 bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, so we really need to look at it. And that's why I like the living wage index. It's more about the aggregate, how many households can pay their bills, and what policies are going to change. Right. Okay. All right. Well, listen, well, thank you, Dale. Oh, that, I, oh this yeah. is wonderful. Yeah, I mean, and, and so, again, we're, we're here with Dale Caldwell, uh, Executive Director of the Rothman Institute of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Fairleigh Dickinson University. And if folks want to learn more about the Institute, how can they find out? Well, one, they can, um, they can reach me at dcaldwell at fdu.edu um, or um, uh, the 800 number, 800-838-8414 is, uh, is what, I, what I use you know, for you know, out of the office. Okay. All right. Well, Dale, thank you very much for thank being you, on. Dale. Yeah, thank you, Dale. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. The Jaffe Podcast is a production of Jaffe Communications, which is solely responsible for its content. Episodes may not be reproduced or rebroadcast without permission. Our executive producer is Jonathan Jaffe. Our editor and production manager is Josh Frank. And our theme song was composed by David Siste. For more episodes, visit jaffecom.com or find us on Facebook at Jaffe Communications. Thanks for listening. Join us next week.